Middle East on the brink, North Korea on the brink, Iran increasing its aggression, elections in Taiwan. Look, there's a lot of global instability as we ourselves plunge into primary season. How have you sheltered your savings and investments from potential major setbacks to the economy? You think it can happen here? It can happen here, but it's not too late to diversify an old IRA or 401k into gold. And Birch Gold Group can help you with that. Birch Gold is the only gold company I trust. As opposed to many other investments, Gold thrives in times of uncertainty. It is an important part of diversifying your savings. Now listen, here's how Birch Gold can help make it a part of yours. Birch Gold will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold. And it doesn't cost you a penny out of pocket. You want to learn more? Just text SAVAGE to 989898 for a free info kit. S-A-V-A-G-E, text it to 989898 and you get a free info kit. It costs you nothing. Just text SAVAGE to 989898. With an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, countless five-star reviews, and thousands of happy customers, I encourage you to arm yourself with the knowledge of diversification through precious metals. Protect yourself. Text SAVAGE to 989898 and claim your free info kit. Protect your savings with gold. Do it now. Text SAVAGE to 989-898. Thank you very much. Birch Gold is the only gold company I trust. Text SAVAGE to 989-898. Warning, the Savage Nation contains adult language, adult content, psychological nudity. Listener discretion is advised. And now, the world's most exciting podcast, The Savage Nation, home of borders, language, culture. And here he is, New York Times best-selling author and National Radio Hall of Fame inductee, Michael Savage. Welcome to the free version of the Michael Savage podcast, and I'm going to keep it free for all of you. But there are many of you who would love to be able to listen to my show without any ads. I love ads, but many of you want to listen to the podcast free of ads. So we created something for you, a solution. We call it the Savage Premium. For less than the price of one flat, tasteless beer at your local bar, you can receive access to all of my podcasts going back years ad-free for just $3.99. That's at $3.99 a month. You'll get not only my ad-free podcast, but you will also occasionally receive access to material that is exclusive for members only, and I'm going to give you the list in a minute of what you've, what you've missed. You're going to get an occasional monologue from me, maybe a reading from one of my novels, sneak peeks of interviews before anyone else hears them, archive pieces dating back to 1994. Many things that come up, you're going to get exclusive access to Michael Savage material. Details can be seen on my website, michaelsavage.com, and if you want to join... All you got to do is go to glow.fm and search Savage Premium. That's glow.fm and search Savage Premium. Now, you will always have access to my free weekly podcast. I want to be clear about that. That's my promise to you. But if you want less ads and more Savage, join the Savage Premium Club today and never miss a spoken word of mine. It's glow.fm slash Savage Premium. You can find it on michaelsavage.com. And here's some of the stuff that you have missed so far. Michael Savage reading from his best-selling novel, Countdown to Mecca. My words, my voice. Savage reads from one of his lost journals, Fiji, 1968. Savage's first drive-time show, Hour One. My interview with the Jewish gangster, very popular. I uh, read from my first written published article, Who is at the Helm? 
from 1965. It's heard nowhere but on my premium site. I read passages from my novel, Abuse of Power. Uh, we replayed Fat Al's Tuna. My Savage Show from 324.94, the earliest show in the archive, 324.94. My interview with Donald Trump from 110.2011. 110.2011, while Mark Levin was mocking him and Sean Hannity was mocking him uh, and the others were mocking him, I was interviewing Trump. Much more. And remember, subscribers also get ad-free podcasts every week. The cost is less than a beer at a bar, and you get a better buzz with, with the Savage Premium. So go to, go to glow.fm slash Savage Premium for full access to ad-free podcasts and exclusive sound you'll not hear anywhere else. Thank you very much. So I'm reading the paper this morning, the electronic paper. Italy's new dining experience, high security. Rome. Diners are flocking to what can be called the most exclusive restaurant in Italy. One located inside a top security prison where the chefs and waiters are mafiosi, robbers and murderers. Serenaded by Bruno, a pianist doing life for murder, the clientele eat inside a deconsecrated chapel set behind the 60-foot high... Why would they deconsecrate a chapel? Anyway, set behind the 60-foot high walls of the daunting 500-year-old Fortiza Medicia at Volterra near Pisa. Under the watchful eye of armed prison guards, a 20-strong team of chefs, kitchen hands, and waiters nightly serve 120 diners who all have undergone strict security checks. Tables are booked weeks in advance. Prison director Maria Grazia Giampicolo said the inmates have developed a flair for their cooking. Uh, he said, I feel haute cuisine in a place like this prepares the inmates for when they are eventually released. The guests enjoy their meals, and although the security seems at first very daunting and imposing, they get over it quite quickly and forget about the guards. The mafia may be in charge, but there is no horse's head on this menu. Instead, a smart, mainly middle-aged crowd tucks into a vegetarian signature menu cooked up by head chef Edigio, Egidio, serving life for murder and competitively priced at $33. The restaurant opened two months ago and has proved so popular that Italy's prison department is thinking of trying it in other prisons. I got to laugh for a minute because this can only happen in Italy where food is life. Now, if you went to a prison in America and you had the, the, the criminals in this country cooking, can you imagine what you want to be eating? Jello. You'd eat Jello and candy bars. That would be their idea of haute cuisine. It's not Italy. Securing a table is as tricky as getting past the sternest maitre d'. Diners are thoroughly vetted by the blah, 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 blah. But there's no danger of the meal being disrupted by the annoying chirrup of cell phones. You hear this? They have to be handed in. Oh, I'd love to eat in this joint. Along with handbags. And I, I would like to eat here. If, if only I could go to a restaurant where some idiot moron from hell didn't talk on a phone. Blah, 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 I'm so important. And yeah, 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 I'm going to Zurich. Yeah, I just got back from Atlanta. Yeah, I spoke to, yeah, blah, 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 blah. I feel like pouring coffee into their cell phone. Why do they let them even talk? It's one of the reasons I go to restaurants. I can't listen to people. I'm in a talk business. So when I'm through working, I don't want to listen to chatter. But most people have jobs where they can't talk. So what they do is they have a, gla a glass of wine already for $6. Blah, 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 blah. Shoot their mouth. Give them two glasses of wine. They don't shut up. Then you get hit with a bad perfume on top of it all that wafts over and you got a double migraine and there's no point in eating there. Give me this prison. It sounds like a good place to go. Handbags. And the diners go through the same thing. In the kitchen, Egidio, a burly 50-year-old from Toronto and Southern, reigns over his team of six, of six chefs. He screams, the pasta is boiling over. More salt, less garlic. Keep stirring the pasta sauce, he shouts. 17 years into his sentence, 
he is thinking of going into the restaurant business when they finally let him out. Like any Italian, I take my food very, very seriously. I like to be sure the diners are satisfied. And they don't just enjoy the food, but enjoy it with the same passion that I prepare it. He's in for a murder sentence. He's a prisoner in Italy. Maybe we can elect him to office here. He could form an entire sentence. Perhaps unsurprisingly, given his record, diners have been reluctant to criticize. Uh, he said, before this, I couldn't even fry an egg. But now here I am preparing five-course dinners, and I have not had any complaints. It could be because they know who he is. Yo, it's delicious, Adesia. Oh, I love it. Oh, yeah, it's great. Terrific. Yeah, tell him that his food's no good. Most of the dishes the restaurant serves are southern Italian staples from organized crime hotspots like Puglia, Sicily, and Naples. Sommelier Santolo Matroni from Naples landed behind bars after getting into, quote, a spot of bother when he was younger, which earned him a 24-year sentence for murder. He, too, was hoping to use his new skills when he gets out in about seven years. He says, I'd like to think that when I get out of here, I can start a family, maybe get a job in a restaurant or hotel. Hey, you should come to America. You know, it's the kind of immigrant we need. The unique nature of the restaurant has imposed some restrictions. Guards watch over the inmates in the kitchens at all times, and the cutlery used as plastic as other plates, said Mr. Giampicolo. The main thing is trust, and we trust the inmates to behave. If we didn't, we would not allow this to happen. Yeah, well, I'll tell you the subtext in a minute. Diners professed themselves delighted. When I heard about it, I thought it sounded fun, so we booked a table, and I have to say the food has been very good, said off-duty police officer, blah, blah, blah. The fact that the dishes are prepared by murderers, armed robbers, mafiosi, or terrorists... Doesn't really bother me, though I might be worried if someone had been convicted of poisoning. And that's it. Italy's new dining experience, high security. For years, I would go past, past Alcatraz Island, and I would think to myself, my God, what a great restaurant this would make here, instead of a waste. Why don't they just let some restaurant guy open up Alcatraz, and you take a boat to it and eat there? In San Francisco, in fact, they could probably rent out the cells uh, for the night with horses. You know, uh, and then they could be running the movie, They Shoot Horses, don't they? Tucson, Arizona. Todd, welcome to the Savage Nation. I uh, met a lady in the parking lot that was listening oh, to Hold it now. Radio. This is a family show, sir. Oh, uh, yeah. She was uh, listening to your radio program, a little uh, French uh, immigrant lady. And yeah. I was listening to the fact she was listening to your program, and I looked at her and said, are you listening to Dr. Savage? <clears throat> and the look on her face was like I caught her stealing or something. She looked up as she turned the radio down and she apologized to me, and I started laughing. I said, oh, no, ma'am. I said, I love Dr. Savage. He's, he's great. And she got into some stories about her French culture and coming from France. And, I mean, the praises that she had for you and how accurate you were and the way you described, you know. Now why life. did she turn the show off, do you think? Because, what, she was afraid you were a hater of the show. More than likely. That's what I mean. She kind of had that embarrassed, like, you know, she got caught doing something. She shouldn't have. Well, she and, sounds like a nice lady, also oh. very shy. And, and uh, how did it end up? Okay? Or someone pulled a gun out in the parking lot? No, no. She was kind of woman you'd want to, you know, go have a drink with and chat. Hold it now. As I said, it's a family show. We can't go there. <laughs> <laughs> well, how old a woman was she, Todd? Oh, she was probably in her, uh, oh, I'd say 70s. But she was French, so therefore uh, the rules still apply. <laughs> <Very good. laughs> hey, thanks for thinking of me. That's all. We're having too much, too much good feelings here on the Savage Nation. I've got to get the angst going in order to keep the audience listening. I got to get them angry, I suppose. <laughs> but I may not be doing much more of it. I am so beyond anger. I am so beyond rage at the political machine. I am so beyond. Uh, wanting to change the Democrat or Republicrat parties 
that I could care less. I become apathetic at this point. I may change. Don't call me and tell me not to be apathetic. It's the greatest crime. All right. I understand that. I may continue to talk about uh, Phileo Sol and my dog for a while and the red brick buildings and how I can feel the, the semen in the brick. I mean, S-E-A-M, S-E-A-M-E-N, the semen in the brick. It was an area where the semen were uh, waylaid over the years. They'd go into their bars, get, get you know, knockout drops, drops next thing, and they'd be put on a ship somewhere. And I could feel this in this area, the Barbary Coast. You walk down these streets, it's filled with, like, art galleries, antique stores, a lot of lawyers for some reason. Thankfully, most of them went out of business in the last year, and the buildings are, are vacant. <clears throat> but they were formerly, like, uh, little hotels for seamen and, you know, prostitutes, dance halls, that kind of thing here in San Francisco from the gold rush era. The buildings date to like, you know, Civil War, post-Civil War period. I've always liked, like even when I went to St. Louis, I'd go to the Gas Slamp District. If I went to Seattle 20 years ago, I'd always go to Old Town. I always liked Old Town. Old Town, Old Town. <clears throat> Whatever city I'm in, I go to the Old Town. Why is that? Like when I went to Quebec when I was a youngster, I used to love Quebec because of the, the uh, feeling of the old city of old Quebec, the, the paving stones, the Chateau Frontenac. I used to love shooting down that, uh, what do they call that? Where you go in like a sled, a toboggan run they had at the hotel. Wow. You get a bottle of brandy, you drink half of it, and you get in the toboggan. Before you know it, it's you're sailing along and you're having fun. What do you want me to do? Politics, food, music, science, poetry, global warming, how to uh, care for children, vitamins, the care and feeding of children, as I say, uh, anything you want me to talk about would be great. Michael Savage, a host like no other. San Francisco, Cal, you're on the Savage Nation. Doctor, the reason why your devoted listeners are interested in what you had for uh, dinner the evening before the show is simply because, <laughs> well, let's face it, you never have a, well, a dull moment in a restaurant. It, it's either public or <laughs> Well, no, wait a minute. That's not true. I do eat, and, I do eat, and nothing happens other than I eat. Oh, but it's always about either some nasty, uh, mean-looking cook with a cigarette out one side of his mouth, staring <laughs> at you, uh, or uh, weird. And the, that's when the food is great. But when everybody's nice and everything's just right, the food is always terrible. So you know, it's it's akin to a lot of what uh, uh, of us who uh, frequent hospitality establishments also experience, particularly in the Bay Area. Wouldn't you agree? Well, yes, uh, it's very difficult, except for the few restaurants I go to, and I know when to go. I, I avoid weekends, you know, for sure. You, you want to have a good meal, go on Monday night. You get the place to yourself, huh? You got the place to yourself, and the food is usually purchased Monday morning. Everybody knows that in the restaurant business. Monday night, Tuesday night's nice. But that's not what most, I mean, most people work. They don't have the time to go to dinner on Monday or Tuesday night. So when you go out in San Francisco, Cal, do you find people rude? Do you find the waiters hostile or what? Most of the time, uh, San Francisco, for as popular as the uh, tourist trade that they claim to have, uh, service is pretty, uh, for the most part, it's pretty low rated. I give it a, a very low mark, a D minus all the way around, especially out here in Marin County where both of us live. Oh, my God. Don't get me started on Marin County. It's why I, I really only eat in San Francisco and in the two places I mentioned, the, the two kings of Italian, the Aliotos and North Beach. Because, they, well, they know me, so they treat me well. That is absolutely true. But they're nice people. They're genuinely nice people. You know what I found in restaurants? Unless there's a patron, a patron at the door, I won't go in there. I don't care where I am in the country. 
there has to be like an owner or let's say a first class manager who is a de facto representative of the owner who makes you feel at home and welcomes you or else the food to me never is never right. There has to be someone who really cares about what they're serving and watches like a hawk. You know what restaurants are like. If they start to to, to, to ignore every plate, every plate has to be looked at or, or they, they will slide very rapidly. Don't you think, uh, Cal? Well, now, every rule has an exception, though, because I took to heart the, the story you told about the Chinese place. I'm thinking it might be the same place I went, where you go to, it's just a family, and they look at you like you don't belong there, and they hate you, and they'll serve you because they have to. If you, well, you, don't mean out, you don't mean out in the avenues where it looks like Pol Pot's brother is, is the owner, right? Um, yes. <laughs> if you sit kindly... Yeah, he corner, sits behind the counter, he glowers at you. I feel like, like in, in, in a movie set for like a, a Vietnam-era movie of like a prison camp. And he's the guard up in the tower staring down with hate. That's the restaurant, that one? That's the one. If you promise to sit in the corner and not make any noise and don't order anything that's... <laughs> now, wait a minute. You don't mean... I'm not going to specify. You don't mean on Geary, Geary Street, do you? Of course, yes. <laughs> yes. Now, I mean, the food used to be great, but they have a new trick. Whatever you order, they bring the rice after the food. You're eating the food and there's no rice. Every time it's the same thing, you have to say, where's the rice? Like they never heard about rice coming with the food? Have you noticed that little gimmick? I, I didn't. I'll have to. I'll be paying attention for sure next time. Oh, you mean you get rice with your food from Pol Pot? How did you arrange that? All I know is I'm. I, I just feel lucky. I get in and out out of there and eat without getting hurt. <laughs> well, one of the things I don't like. I used to love it because the food was really the best. The the clay pot cookery was the best. But they got so arrogant. They got lazy. You know, they start raking it in, and the white people all bow when they go in. It's mainly the university crowd from UC Med Center. Every one of them bows, yeah, 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 gonna have a glass of water, oh, thank you. 80 times thank you for a glass of water and a napkin. I mean, after 10 years of that, what you start doing is you spit at the people who come in. You look down at them like they're morons. What are they thanking the owner for? He's in business to serve you a, a glass of water and a napkin. We got to know, did, did, uh, fr uh, did Teddy freak out when you showed him a, a picture of the Labradoodle? <laughs> the Labradoodle. No, there's a neighbor's Labradoodle that barks at Teddy. But Teddy is a very well-balanced, good-natured little boy, and he doesn't bark back. He looks at him like he's crazy. He figures it's a product of uh, bad breeding. <laughs> real poodles don't snarl. <laughs> real, real, real poodles don't snarl. They just lift their heads and walk away. <laughs> oh, I've had a lot of fun so far today. Why? Why am I? Why is this man laughing? Because if you stop laughing, you're a dead man. You're a, you're a dead man already. So for lunch, I'm walking around my favorite neighborhood. I walk up Broadway, past the strip clubs. I look in one store after the other. There's the Afghani restaurant. That's a joke unto itself. Everything I have a comment in my head. I pass the tattoo parlor, comment in my head. I look in, tattoo, comment. Next, I pass the Afghani restaurant out of business as we move to. I said, where would you move to the bomb making, a bomb making, a one, or did they move to another, I never went to an Afghani rap, why do I want to eat like old lamb, whatever, I can roll them up in a carpet, next stop, bad pizza, the worst pizza in America is on Broadway, I don't know what it's a front for, I would never eat pizza, it looks like yellow with mice in it, next, you walk up the street, you come to the, uh, uh, the hostel, and you see the uh, Euro trash, and I mean, excuse me, the superb creatures from Europe in Remember the Euro trash was a popular word you were allowed to use for a while, a phrase that went out of fa Now it's like a Mero trash. According to Obama, we're a Mero trash and Euro, you, the Euros are, are the hero. How did it become that Europe, the Europeans are like something to look up to? Where'd that come from? I mean, individually, they're going to be nice, nasty, but what do you mean Europeans? Well, what's that all about? 
Their culture, just take a look at some of the Europeans outside of hostel. You'll see what culture is. You never saw such misshapen people with knapsacks in your life. Who would go to a hostel? I don't understand that in this day and age. You're either going to get raped or you're going to get herpes or AIDS laying in there. What, what are you going in there for? You're better off in a, in a state-controlled flop house than a hostel. A girl alone with a knapsack from Denmark in a hostel in San Francisco, a rape job or a, or a herpes, one or the other. What is she doing here, I ask myself. What are they looking for? You look at these kids. Kids, some of them are like 40-year-old pervs. You know, they're still in the hostels figuring they're going to get lucky with someone from Denmark. And maybe they do. I don't know. They travel the world. I don't know what they're looking for. But you look at a kid, 20, 25, they're traveling. All right, I did it. I did it. So what are they looking for? They're looking for a romance? I don't know. Or they're looking for adventure? What adventure? What adventure can you have in the modern world other than getting mugged or raped? What adventures lie out there anymore in this homogenized world where you go to China and they look like the, the people from, from Brooklyn? Where you go to Russia, they look like the people from San Francisco. Everyone's wearing the same garbage clothing. No pressed pants, T-shirts. Everyone looks disheveled. Everyone looks disheveled. No one looks right. What is the per... I, I, I'm asking myself. In other words, let's go back to... All right, you're starting to sound cranky. All right, I'm cranky. So let's go back to when I traveled. What was I looking for? Adventure and romance. And I found both. But then I realized that travel unto itself is a bore and a waste of time. Travel for travel's sake has to be about the most boring waste of energy known to mankind. So I decided that I had to do something useful if I ever were going to travel again because I've always hated travel. I'm a homebody, right? So I spent many years going to the most exotic islands on earth to collect medicinal plants, and I did very good scientific research. But it was travel with a meaning. Otherwise, I never would have been there. I hated the place, actually. At a certain point, you come to realize it's just foreign. It doesn't mean it's better. So where am I going with this? I haven't any idea. Any more than a modern artist has any idea why he painted a picture of a broken society. So I've just painted a picture for you. If you want to talk about art, you want to talk about science, you want to talk about Danish women in hostels. So then I continue on my walk up Broadway and I decide, no, I'm not going to go to North Beach and have a big Italian meal. It's lunchtime. I got to do a show. I can't s fill my guts with pasta and sauce and talk to anybody. I don't want to talk to anybody. So I decided to have a power lunch in the cheapest Chinese joint that I know on Broadway where they throw the food at you and they're hostile. They look like, they look like a combination of a Pol Pot and Ho Chi Minh in this restaurant. Really na nasty, particularly to Caucasians. Nasty and mean. But I like the place. I've been eating there for 20 years. They still don't know me. It's an amazing, it's an amazing fact. I, mean, I guess all white men look alike. They know me. I go, 20 years I've been in and out of the place. Anyway, I... <laughs> I get the lunch plate. I can't believe they can still turn out a meal like this for like five bucks. I had the uh, calamari and rice. The rice was horrendous. I never even had bad rice in my life till today. I don't know how, how rice could be bad. It was horrible rice. Disgusting. Maybe I'm in, into a day of self-abuse. I enjoyed every bite of the calamari. <laughs> I loved it. I felt like I felt like the revolution had come. I was poor, totally poor again, and eating in the same places I ate in 30 years ago. And guess what? Nothing ever went wrong in these slop joints. And then, wait, here's the interesting part. So you walk through Chinatown in San Francisco, and I go next door. I, I mean, I told you, the minute I eat, I'm looking for the next meal. I look in the next place, a dim sum place, all local Chinese. I can't believe it. Three pieces of shrimp dumplings for like $1.60. Then I go to the next joint, and it's full. 
And lunch plates are like two ninety five, three dollars. You know, like pork uh, guts over. I don't know what's in it. Chicken fungu, uh, chicken fung, uh, chicken uh, fu young. I don't know what. Whatever they threw together over rice to three dollars. Now, when I was young, I used to eat here all the time in these places. I took the kids here all the time. They grew up on cheap peasant food, and to this day, we all still love the same cheap peasant food. So, what is that telling you? It's telling you something. It's telling you nothing. It's telling you that the man talking to you can ride on a donkey or he can ride the limo. I can fly southwest or I can fly in a private jet. It's all the same to me. I'm indifferent to it all. Well, thank you very much for listening to today's podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it and you'll learn something from it. We have about 400 other episodes available for you to listen to absolutely free. You can go back into our vast library of podcasts and listen to any one of them at any time. And remember this, if you want to listen to my podcast ad-free, sign up for the Savage Premium Membership and get access to ad-free podcasts as well as some premium content from our Savage Archives. How do you sign up for those ad-free podcasts? Please visit michaelsavage.com for a link. Again, thank you for your listenership. This is Michael Savage.